Hello, my name is Rick Pearson and this is Prophecy USA, a program specifically designed to unveil the hidden mystery of America's role in Bible prophecy. Have you ever wondered what the story of Jonah has to do with America today? Well, stay tuned, you're about to find out. Welcome back, folks. You know, in studying the 53 descriptions of Babylon the Great, many people have written us, and they're amazed that America meets every description. Together with our best-selling book and study guide and our free app, we've pointed out to you the time sequences in Scripture specifically detailing the eight providential nations throughout man's history and how the seventh must be deposed. And the fact that six of those kingdoms have come and gone and only two are left are very, very sobering for those of us who believe in this book that we call the Holy Bible. You know, we believe the eighth kingdom or the eighth nation that is destined to rule the planet looks incredibly like the United Nations 2030 agenda. The fact that they're openly admitting COVID-19 has helped them accelerate their Great Reset just adds fuel to the fire of God's sure word of prophecy. Now their concept is that they want a world without the Judeo-Christian God. They don't want his moral protocols within society, within politics, or within the laws of the land. The fact is, they think the Ten Commandments that thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not bear false witness, has absolutely no consequences in their personal lives, nor the government that they strive for. The ideology of critical race theory, suggesting to our children that we should actually judge one another by the color of our skin, or the ethnicity of our birthright, or our sexual desires of our flesh, voids all biblical protocol that the golden rule states that whatsoever you would, that men do unto you, do ye even so to them. However, in this new world coming, gone is the concept that all men are created equal. In this new woke society, the exterior color or sexual identity of our identified gender far outweighs the content of a person's individual character. In fact, this groupthink has enough non-inclusive bias that they want to cancel anyone who refuses to join their agenda. Now, these concepts not only deny the spiritual protocol of biblical values, they literally defy them. Leadership, pitting groups of people against one another, stirring the emotions of people to protest with riots, acts of violence, and destruction of personal property is an old age strategy, utilizing mob mentality in order to divide and conquer. Stalin, Hitler, Mao killed millions of people in the name of equality for all. And Marxist ideology of class warfare is still seducing the masses today. But what can we do? What can an individual do to help make a change? What exactly 
is our responsibility as we watch this happening. You know, perhaps, as always, we can look to the Word of God for reproof, correction, and instruction, and, and avoid making the same mistakes that one man in the Bible made over 2,800 years ago. Listen to this. Perhaps one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible is the story of Jonah and his example of learning to do God's will the hard way. We find his story in the book of Jonah. It is the fifth of the 12 Old Testament books that bear the name of the minor prophets whose lives are used as examples for us. Those examples, then and there, speak to every generation and especially to us in the here and now. Taking place during the 8th century BC, the story revolves around the ancient city capital of Assyria called Nineveh. Historians believe that city today is Mosul and is located on the Tigris River in Iraq. Nineveh was a place of great commerce producing great wealth. But Nineveh had a problem. The city of approximately 120,000 citizens was filled with immorality, debauchery, and idolatrous pagan worship to the point where their reprobate society could not discern between good or evil. Our story of Jonah begins by Jonah hearing directly from God. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Although Jonah knew exactly what the word of the Lord had said, instead of walking in obedience to Nineveh, Jonah went in the exact opposite direction to Tarshish. Tarshish is believed to be located in the land of present-day Eastern Europe, including the isles of the coastland we call England today. Leaving from the port city of Joppa, located on the Mediterranean coast of Israel, Jonah boarded a small ship in an effort to flee from the presence of the Lord. However, like many others who have learned throughout the centuries, you can run from God, but you can never hide yourself from His omnipresence. The Bible says that God sent a wind against the ship that carried Jonah, but it was something more than just a wind. In the Hebrew language, the Bible says it was the Ruah, meaning the breath or spirit of God. It was the same wind that passed over the earth at creation, the same wind that brought locusts to Egypt, the same wind that split the Red Sea with the breath of God's nostrils, the same wind that rent the mountain for Elijah, and the same wind that breathed on the disciples at the day of Pentecost. It was the wind that throughout the generations brought blessings upon those who obeyed and curses upon those who disobeyed. The men of the ship quickly discerned that someone on board was not right with God. But even after Jonah confessed his disobedience, they too joined his rebellion, fighting the wind and the waves. Finally, in desperation, the men threw Jonah overboard, and the Lord gave Jonah a three-day Mediterranean cruise in the most unlikely vessel you could imagine, the belly of a specially designed fish. But even in his rebellion, God established Jonah's disobedience as a foreshadowing of what Jesus warned his disciples. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The fish took Jonah back to the mainland of Israel, and as the story unfolds, Jonah finally fulfilled his task and delivered a warning of coming judgment to the city of Nineveh.
But what can we learn from this story today? What can we learn from living in a providential nation the Bible calls Babylon the Great? A nation steeped in adultery, defiled by sexual immorality, plagued with incest, and filled with the shedding of innocent blood that is prophesied to be judged. How can believers today fulfill God's prophetic warning when he says, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven. Welcome back, folks. Wow, Jonah certainly had to learn the hard way in obeying God's voice. And it's definitely a lesson for us who live in the last days today. For those of you who've been studying our research, realize that America has found herself in a very bad place spiritually. We've taken God out of our schools, our government, our military, and our nation's moral protocol, and replaced His Word with secular humanism. We've asked God to bless us, and then defied Him to stay with us. We want all His covenant blessings, but we don't want any of His covenant commandments. You know, just like Lucifer, who once was the anointed cherub that covereth in heaven and was covered in precious jewels and musical instruments, we've said within our heart, I don't need God's rules, His regulations, His commandments. And at that point in Lucifer's heart, the Bible says that the mystery of iniquity was birthed within him, and God cast him and a third of the angels out of heaven. You know, the word iniquity according to Harper's Bible Dictionary, is a deliberate act of defiance against God. Now, the spirit or ruach of God that once breathed upon this anointed cherub now has become the same spirit that judged Lucifer for his defiance against God. However, God has a plan for Babylon, and it's very similar to the plan that he had for Lucifer. There's a wind that's about to be released in Babylon. The same Spirit of God who has blessed and anointed this great covenant nation is the same wind of God that will judge her. Jeremiah 51.1 says, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against them that dwell in the land of them that rise up against me a destroying wind and will send unto Babylon fanners that shall fan her. Now, in this passage, the wind is described as a destroying wind. History has given us a multitude of examples when God's wind or spirit breathed within the earth. In fact, the very first verse in the Bible says that it was God's breath that was the initial starting point of all creation. Genesis 1.1, and the spirit or the ruah or the wind of God moved upon the face of the waters. 25 verses later, after the creation of everything that we can visibly see with our eyes, the Bible said, And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth. So from the very beginning of creation, we can see that God's original plan for the whole earth was that when he breathed on the planet, it was good. And then in order to maintain his goodness on the planet, God decided to breathe one more time. He would create an everlasting steward of the planet, a maintainer of good, a living, walking example of his presence upon the earth. 
and the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the ruhah of life, and man became a living soul. Of course, we all know the story that the same fallen angel that once carried God's anointing came to man, tempted him to defy the commandments of God, and through Adam and Eve's own free will, they walked away from the goodness of God. They, like Lucifer, thought they could be like God. From that point forward, we see that the something drastically different had entered into man, and that something was not the goodness of God, but a different spirit had entered him. And he, man, Adam, said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. This is the first verse in the Bible where we see the word afraid or fear. Man had become disassociated with the goodness of God. He now looked at God as something to fear. And because he now understood the difference between good and evil, he was very wise to fear this God. Due to this new nature of man and his free will to choose evil over good, God in his goodness decided to make a way that man could come back into right relationship with him. He promised man that he would provide a solution through the seed of a woman, a man-child that would be man's ultimate weapon of warfare to not only defeat Satan, but come back into right relationship with God. Paul said, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit, the ruach of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. So we now, through Jesus Christ, have a way back to the Spirit or the Ruha of God. We actually have a way back to the goodness of God. And there is a saying I was taught at university that has stuck with me throughout all my life. God is a good God and the devil is a bad devil. Jesus pretty well summed that up when he said the thief cometh to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But what has this to do with the destroying wind that will be released in Babylon? Stay tuned, you're about to find out. The United Nations has a 2030 agenda. The World Economic Forum has a great reset. The COVID-19 pandemic has an accelerated mandate. But as the new world order plans their world without God, nothing will be accelerated faster than the prophetic word God has spoken to the United States of America. It will be the hour that changes everything. Prophecy USA is proud to present their latest book, The Hour That Changes Everything. Together with our study guide and free app, prepare yourself for one of the greatest events in Bible prophecy. Go to prophecyusa.org or call the number on your screen now to make your donation of $35 or more and receive your copy of the book, The Hour That Changes Everything. We are waiting to hear from you. Call today. Welcome back, folks. We've been talking about the wind or the ruach of God. 
we've learned that God's purpose for man has always been goodness and blessings, but it was man through Adam's free will who broke that covenant with God by choosing an act of defiance opposing God's goodness. We also learned that the spirit that God originally breathed into man that brought blessings, guidance, and provision was replaced by a spirit of fear, a spirit that entered into man by Satan's deception. But it was not forced upon man. It entered through man's free will to listen to Satan and to walk away from the goodness of God. Of course, this all happened at the beginning of the creation as we know it. But from the beginning, we've seen multiple examples of God's breath or wind released throughout the generations. Sometimes the wind of God brought great deliverance to those who followed in His commandments, and at other times, it brought great destruction to those who defied His commandments. In Egypt, Pharaoh defied God's commandments, and we see in Exodus 10, Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, and they did eat every herb of the lamb and all the fruit of the trees. Now in this case, the wind brought a severe judgment upon the land. Yet in the grand finale of God's plans for the Israelites, we read that the Ruhah, or the breath of God, also provided deliverance for the children of Israel. In God's final dealing with Egypt, the Israelites found themselves at the water's edge of the Red Sea. Before them was the sea, and behind them was the chariots of the Pharaoh coming to kill them. They were between a rock and a hard place, with nowhere to go but to call on God. They were in a perfect spot, a preferred position for God to show forth His goodness. The Bible declares that this wind literally came from the blast of God's nostrils. The waters were gathered together, and the floods stood upright as a heap. So on one hand, the wind of God brought deliverance to the children of Israel, but on the other hand, it was designed to bring destruction to the Egyptians who opposed God's word. So we can see here that the purpose of the wind or the breath of God is like a double-edged sword. It brings deliverance to those who walk in covenant with God, but destruction to those who defy that covenant. Once the children of Israel were free from the Egyptian slavery, we see once again that God continued to breathe His blessings upon Him. And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp. According to Harper's Bible Dictionary, whirlwinds and storms usually accompanied a theophany, such as God's appearance to Job and Ezekiel's vision of God. According to 2 Kings, the prophet Elijah did not die, but a whirlwind accompanied by chariots and horses of fire carried him up to heaven. In 650 BC, God told Jeremiah, For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word who hath marked his word and heard it? For behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return, but in the latter days you shall consider it perfectly. Then God gives us a warning to the prophets of the latter days. 
Jeremiah 23 says, I've not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I've not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. So what is Jeremiah referring to? Could this grievous wind of the latter days be the same destroying wind that is prophesied to be released in Babylon? And if it is, why are the prophets of today not warning us of what is coming? Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this last segment. 2,000 years ago, innocent blood was shed for you. But will America come back? Will she seek God's forgiveness or will she suffer His judgment? Prophecy USA proudly presents a study guide addressing America's spiritual state of the union concerning her past, present, and future role in Bible prophecy. Call right now with your donation of $20 or more to receive your copy, 1-888-306-1759, or go online to prophecyusa.org right now. Welcome back, folks. We've been talking about the historical effects of God's wind or His breath or His Spirit that comes upon mankind. We've discovered that when God's Spirit moves, it brings blessings upon those who follow His Word, but destruction on those who disobey His Word. You know, in the last days, according to Jeremiah, there will be one last breath of God released in the latter-day nation of Babylon. It will come just before Babylon is destroyed and a new world order comes into play. He refers to it as a grievous whirlwind. Now, many times the wind or spirit of God is also related to his ministering spirits or what the Bible calls his angels. Psalms 103 says, Bless the Lord, ye angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. So with regard to these angels, Paul makes mention in Hebrews 1, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? You know, just as Jeremiah prophesied of the latter days, Jesus also told us that in the last days, he would send forth the Spirit of God, and he would come in the form of those ministering spirits that Paul spoke about. In these passages, we see both blessing of God's children as in the harvest of righteousness, but also the punishing of those who offend, defy, or do iniquity. It appears that God's two-edged sword will be very evident in the last days. In fact, the destroying wind that is released in Babylon is said to accommodate God's fanners or those who send forth to help prepare for the harvest. Now, the word for fan, according to the New Bible Dictionary, is threshers who throw grain into the air so that the chaff is blown away. In other words, this is referring to the same end-time harvest that Jesus said would come. It would come in the very last days when the wheat and the chaff would be separated. It would literally be God's last altar call to the nations to come back to him or suffer the consequences. However, in this final breath of God's wind upon the earth, Jeremiah prophesizes something very unique about from where the wind is actually going to come from. 
In years past, the wind came from the north, the southeast, or the west. However, in this last move of God's Spirit concerning Babylon, Jeremiah prophesies that the Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, saying, Surely I will fill thee with men as with caterpillars, and they shall lift up a shout against thee and bring forth the wind out of his treasures. Now in this passage, God's wind or spirit no longer comes from the east, west, or south. It literally comes forth out of his treasures. God has placed his men or his bride within Babylon. And according to scripture, they're supposed to raise up a shout against her. In previous lessons, we've learned that five out of seven churches or groups of believers in Babylon had fallen into various sins. Instead of going into Babylon and influencing the culture, Babylon goes into the church and influences the believers. Is it possible that the wind coming forth out of God's vessels could be that of believers who would repent of their sins immediately before Babylon's judgment is released? I'm talking about those who've been polluted by the influence of the Babylonian culture that we currently live in. And this wind coming forth out of his treasures would be like a revival of repentance, knowing that they were not ready for the coming rapture of the Lord. Imagine a wind that would be God's last altar call to Babylon, a wind that would separate the wheat and the chaff, fanning the nation immediately before her destruction and bringing a healing to those who want it but hardening the hearts, just like Pharaoh, for those who oppose it. Very similar to the way Jonah and the men in the ship opposed the wind of God's correction. You know, we at Prophecy USA believe that the greatest source of healing of this nation called Babylon the Great will begin at the tip of our own tongues. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray ye one for another, that you might be healed in order for the bride to make herself ready. Does it not make sense that confessing your sins to those you have faulted would be like a two-edged sword in these last days, humbling yourself and going to others, asking for forgiveness, and at the same time, warning them that you honestly believe that judgment is coming? You know, in 1986, after receiving this revelation of America's role in Bible prophecy, that's exactly what I was instructed to do. Immediately, three people came into my mind that I had to go and apologize to for faulting them, and I did that. But what is God saying to you? If God calls you to go to Nineveh, will you run away to Tarshish? What have we learned from the story of Jonah? Are there people you need to get right with? If so, I encourage you to act on that impulse as God leads you. Let the wind of God breathe through your lips and get not only yourself ready, but maybe, just maybe, the person that you apologize to may have the same wind come out of his lips and together you will experience the healing power that God so desperately wants you to have. For God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. You know, I'm sorry, folks, but we're out of time. We're asking you, 
If you have any more questions, be sure to join us at 7 p.m. for our podcast, where we answer many questions. But right now, it's we're out of time, and this is Prophecy USA. My name is Rick Pearson, and I'm reminding you that Jesus is alive, and he's coming back much sooner than many people think. Get yourself ready, listen to his still small voice, and we'll see you next week on Prophecy USA. Shalom.